I will stand and I will fight in the power of God's might. I refuse to be afraid for the God of all the universe is my father and my friend, my shelter, my protector. And because of who he is, I am brave. I refuse to be afraid. I asked Mark if the twins could sing this morning for two reasons. One is, I like to hear them sing and I don't get to do it very often. It takes me back about 37, 38 years ago. I sat in the back row back there with some other college students of the church we attended in Fresno or Clovis, California. And they would stand up here and sing and I was really taken by one of them. It took a semester and a half for me to get nerve, and it took the college president and several of my friends to urge me on so I'd get nerve enough to ask her out, but she was a graduating senior, and I knew if I didn't do it, I wouldn't have the chance, so finally I did, and the rest is, as they say, history. There's another reason, though, I asked Mark if they could sing, and that was... I thought, well, if I do that and y'all get to hear them sing, then maybe you'll let me come preach again sometime. (laughs) Let's turn to the book of Jude, if we could. Way back in the... Just before Revelation, just before maps, (laughs) is the book of Jude. I have trouble turning it to it in my Bible because I get First John and then I get Revelation and Second and Third John and Jude seem to be stuck together. And what I'd like for you to do is read it yourself a little later. Right now we'll go through it, but I'm not going to read all of it, just most of it. And let's take a look at the book of Jude. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. to You know, if I'd been Jude, I wouldn't have started it that way. I would have said Jude, the half-brother of Jesus Christ, the brother of James the Apostle, y'all need to listen to what I have to say because that's who I am. But Jude was more mature than I am, and he didn't do it that way. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ, brother of James, to those who have been called, who are the loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. Now let's skip down to verse 12 if we could. 
He describes these men. These men are blemishes at your love feast, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain. That kind of upsets us in West Texas, doesn't it? Somebody described as a cloud without rain, we know. Blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. And let's go down to verse 16. These men are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. Dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, In the last times there will be scoffers who follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. To Him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before His glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Can we pray together? Father, thank you for your word. And thank you for each one who is here this morning. I ask that you by your Spirit will teach us what you would have us know from your Word. When we leave here, we will be more like Jesus Christ and we will be better equipped to do what you want us to do. And I pray in all things that your greater glory will be our chief concern. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. When I was really young, I liked to fight. I must have liked to fight because I was always getting into fights. I have some broken teeth and uh, scars to prove it. I can't tell you how many times I came home with a bloody nose Once, I I never will forget, one time the folks were sitting around the table with some friends. 
I think they were playing bridge. And I came in with a bloody nose and someone said, Mike's got a bloody nose. And they very nonchalantly just sat there and said, don't bleed on the carpet and kept playing cards and they were used to it. Someone asked me recently, rather recently, why I fought so much. I guess I really don't know. And that may be a bigger problem than I realize because I do not feel that I need to have myself psychoanalyzed because of it. Maybe I'm just sort of in denial. I don't know. But... uh, There are probably a lot of reasons why I fought. Most of them were pretty trivial. It was a long time ago and only one reason really stands out to me now. I wanted to win. I wanted my opponent to give up. I wanted him to say, uncle. Now, for the most part, I quit fighting years ago. Even the thought of it kind of hurts my hand right now. I used to keep my hands doubled up in a fist. I don't do that anymore. But it's fighting time again. Only this time the fight is really serious and I'm here to tell you this morning you need to be ready to fight. Jude began his letter and he like most preachers said he would have liked to have said only those things that everyone agreed with, the common salvation, those things that build you up, those things that encourage and everybody could walk out feeling good all over. There's a temptation. Preachers like to make people feel good. They all leave happy and smiling and congratulate you and tell you how good they feel. That's what Jude would have liked to have written, but he said... I felt I had to write. I was compelled to write. I was constrained. He was convinced of the absolute necessity that he write and urge the believers to earnestly contend for the faith. Now just, and he goes on to tell about it as as you read on, just as the apostles had predicted into the church had moved apostates, false teachers who for money or for fame or for power or for popularity and some just for pure pleasure were distorting the truth about Jesus Christ. And they were dividing the church and the fight was on and Jude's readers could sit on the sidelines no longer. They had to get into the fight. It was fighting time. On Friday, May 10th, 1940, Hitler and the Nazis invaded Belgium, France, Luxembourg, and the Netherlands. The Prime Minister of Great Britain, Neville Chamberlain, resigned. Winston Churchill became the Prime Minister. Working on through the weekend, he put together a war coalition government. 
And on Monday, May 13th, he spoke to the House of Commons for the first time as Prime Minister. Now, the House of Commons would have much rather listened to nice Neville Chamberlain. Now, he's the one that came with the, holding the piece of paper and got off the plane and said, Peace in our times. They'd rather heard peace in our times. It'd been much nicer. But they had to hear Churchill's words that day when he said, I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. The war was on and it was time to fight. Now, I'd like to say only nice things this morning. Things that would get, lift you up and give you a warm, fuzzy feeling all over. But I think the times are too desperate for that. These are times that I did not believe I would ever live to see. I heard preachers preach about it when I was young, but it wouldn't happen in America. I didn't think it would. And that is widespread persecution of Christians and Christianity right here in the United States. Oh, I knew it existed, but I attributed it to isolated incidents orchestrated by a few headline-grabbing anti-Christian kooks. But if you follow the news, and I'm not suggesting you look at these, but I've been tracking them lately, you find an ever-increasing number of well-documented cases of persecution against Christianity and Christians right here in the United States. Oh, you've heard about the IRS and the administration coming against people. The story that upset me most this last week was the story, as a Fox News story, of Air Force Chaplain Lieutenant Colonel Kenneth Reyes. Colonel Reyes has a column in the base website that's called The Chaplain's Corner. He wrote an essay about chaplains in World War II. The title of the essay, quoting the World War II chaplain, was No Atheist in Foxholes. Chaplains Gave All in World War II. I read the essay. It's nice. It was mostly history. I didn't see anything offensive in it that anyone could have found offensive, but they did. And after one complaint, the base commander ordered the essay taken down. He issued an apology, but the Military Religious Freedom Foundation was not satisfied. They demanded that Chaplain Reyes, Colonel Reyes, be punished. I think it's kind of interesting to me that those words that he quoted were quoted by the commander-in-chief of the Air Force in 1954, President Dwight Eisenhower, who had been the supreme commander of Allied forces in World War II. And he said, there are no, fox, no 
atheists in foxholes. But now it's such an offensive thing that the chaplain who spoke it has to be punished. Every week, if not every day, you'll find more examples of persecution of Christians and Christianity right here in the United States. And it's most likely going to get worse. I expect things to get tough, and we've got to be ready to face it in a biblical and Christ-like manner. It's very likely that Christians in 21st century America will will suffer persecution very similar to Christians in most other countries and Christians in most other centuries. And how we handle it is extremely important. God's glory is at stake, and how you react to this reflects on God's glory. And your witness is at stake because people are watching you and we've got to be about our real business of making disciples. And how you handle this struggle and how you handle the persecution is going to affect your disciple making. It's time to fight, but don't forget, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. When I was young, when somebody wanted to fight, I fought just like they did. And I wanted to fight harder and stronger and better. But now we're called to fight a different way. You and I are called to fight. Jude's words are that you contend earnestly. The Greek term there was associated with a contest in the stadium. It indicated a strenuous struggle to overcome an opponent, like in a wrestling match. Later came to be used of any conflict, but a conflict in which you would put out an all-out effort to win. You'd use all the energy you could muster You'd use all the resources that were available to you and that would reflect what Jude said, that you contend earnestly. You give it all you've got. You're called to fight. Several times the Apostle Paul told young Timothy to fight the good fight of faith. Paul told the Ephesians to put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. You and I are called to fight. We're called to struggle. We're not called to roll to glory on beds of ease. That's not our position. We are called to fight. It's time to fight. Now, 50 years ago, All you would have had to do to get me to fight was to call me a name like chicken or sissy. Them was fighting words. Now, if you were to call me a chicken or a sissy today, I would probably say something like this. That's your opinion. 
And you may be right. I don't know. But I would see no need to double up my fist and hurt my hand. Those words ain't fighting words anymore. Not all things are worth fighting about. Some are. And I've learned now that I'm older and I am called upon to protect a loved one or a friend of mine, I'm willing to pick up anything handy and I'm willing to fight for some things are worth fighting for. Jude said he wanted you to contend for the faith. Your priority in this fight is the faith. Now what is that faith that was once delivered for all delivered to the saints? The faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 23, Paul is repeating a report about him where they said, The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith. He once tried to destroy. He's preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. The faith is what Paul taught. That is, it was the substance of Paul's teaching. It was that body of doctrine. In 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 and 9, Paul is giving the requirements for a deacon in the church. And he said, Deacons likewise are to be men worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. The faith is the body of truths they were taught by the apostles. You're in Jude. Turn with me back about six pages probably, maybe seven, to Second Peter chapter 1. Let's look at verse 3. Peter's writing and he's saying his divine power, God's divine power, has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Now that's a wonderful statement. His divine power has given you everything you need for life and godliness. What do you need for the fight? He said, he's given you everything you need for the fight. Where does it come from? It says, well, it comes through our knowledge of him. Where does our knowledge of him come from? It comes from the book. Isn't that what he's talking about? Look at the next verse. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape in the corruption in the world Caused by evil desires. What is he talking about? He's talking about the book, the Bible, God's Word. Isn't that the context of Second Peter 1? Let's, let's look on. Let's go down to verse 16. Peter says, We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For He received glory and honor... From God the Father, when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. 
with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain, and we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it as a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What's he talking about? He's talking about the Bible, the Word of God, from which we get our knowledge of Him the faith, the teaching. Turn over to chapter 3 of Second Peter. Let's go down to verse 15. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand. Boy, that's the truth, isn't it, sometimes? They are. They can be. Which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do other scriptures to their own destruction. Now Jude was talking about men that come in and seemingly on purpose distort the truth. But what Peter is talking about here is that what Paul wrote is Scripture, just like the Old Testament was Scripture. Paul's words were Scripture. They came from God. All Scripture is God-breathed. Jude is basically saying, we need to earnestly contend for or fight for the teaching of the Bible, the Word of God. Now, I will not fight anymore because somebody calls me a sissy. Now, I used to. And I'd rather you didn't call me a sissy. It might hurt my feelings, but I'm probably not going to double up my fist and fight about it. I'm not going to fight about the color of the carpet in the church. Some churches have split over the color of the carpet, and I've seen it happen. I'm not going to fight about how loud or how soft or how fast or how slow the music is. Some churches have split over that, but that's not what we fight about. I may get in trouble for, I will get in trouble for saying this, but I'm not going to fight you because you're for big government and I'm for small government. That's really not a big enough issue for me to fight about. But I will take my stand and I will fight for what the Bible clearly teaches. The Bible is the fully inspired, infallible, inerrant, authoritative Word of God, and what really matters is what does the Bible say. And if the Bible says it, we have to do it. And if it becomes against the law to do it, we have to break the law. Ooh. And if the Bible says don't do it, if the Bible condemns it, we cannot accept it. It doesn't matter how much culture accepts it. If the Bible doesn't accept it, we can't accept it. We have to take our stand on the Word of God. 
That's the hill we're willing to die on. And it may someday cost us greatly. We may have to die on that hill. We may lose our freedom. We could even lose our lives, but we will not compromise on the teaching of God's Word. Now get ready for a lot of pressure to compromise. It's getting worse, and I expect it's really going to get worse. Now the Bible doesn't say this. This is just me. You can take it or leave it. I think, I guess one of three things is going to happen. Either the Lord's soon going to come, and that's what I hope happens. Today would be a good time. Or we're going to have a great revival in this country. I don't see that happening, but it could happen. I hope that happens. We need to pray for that. We need to work for that. It could happen. Or it's going to get tough. Christians in America are going to have it rough. We're going to be in a fight. And our fight, remember Paul said, we're struggling not against flesh and blood. It's going to be a carefully orchestrated war put on by the devil and his minions. And it's going to get rough. And we've got to be ready. Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. To me, that indicates another fight. But we're going to be victorious. In the words of Churchill, again, we must never, never, never give up. Now, we as the church have often given, too many times, given the world a caricature of a fighting fundamentalist. Because too often we fought with the weapons of the world and we thought about things that aren't even mentioned by Scripture. Now, I'm not asking you to become that caricature. In fact, I hope you do not. Here's how you do it. Jude talks about it. Jude gives you several things to do. I don't have time to talk about all of them. But let's talk about three of them really quick. Look at verse 20. But you, dear friends, build up yourselves in your most holy faith. Build up yourselves in the Word of God. Do it yourselves. You can't depend on someone else. You need to read it. You need to meditate on it. You need to memorize it. You need to become people of the book. You need to know the Bible. And it's becoming more and more important that you do because you need to know where you're going to take your stand. And you need to know how you're going to take your stand. And it's an ongoing thing. You keep building yourselves up. You're never going to get to the point where you can say, I can stop, I have it done. You build yourselves up. Building yourselves up is one translation. Become men and women of the book. And then he said, praying in the Holy Spirit. In Romans 15, Paul said, I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying. How do we fight? We fight by praying. 
Join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be rescued from unbelievers in Judea and that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints there. Luke 18, verse 1, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. In Ephesians chapter 6, when Paul said to put on the full armor of God, he said to take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. And then he said, pray also for me. Paul depended on prayer in the fight of faith. You and I must also. I don't know that I understand it completely. I certainly can't explain it. I know that the Bible says to do it, and we do it. That's what Paul did, and that's how you and I will be victorious in this fight, in this struggle. As it gets worse and worse, we need to be praying more and more. One of the principal weapons for warfare is prayer. Do it. Depend on it and keep on doing it. Never, never, never give up praying. Now, verse 21. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Get down to verse 24. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God our Savior be glory and majesty and power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. He's coming for you and He's coming for me. And that's our hope. Keep looking up. You're going to be a winner in this fight. Unlike any other fight you or I have ever faced, we know the outcome of this fight. When I doubled up my fists and started in a tussle with one of my friends, and usually we were better friends after the fight than we were before. That's the way it was when little boys fight. But anyway, never knew who was going to come out on top. Never knew who was going to say give up. I give up. But in this fight, the most serious fight, you and I know who's going to win. We've read the final chapter. We're on the winning side. He is going to present you before His glorious presence without fault and with great joy. That's the end of it. Like the song the twins sang a moment ago. You know God. And because of who He is, 
You refuse to be afraid. You're going to be brave because you know who God is. You keep looking up and you know that you're going to be victorious. In fact, in Christ, you already are victorious. It's fighting time. It may get rough, but we're called to fight. Let's get in the fight. Shall we pray? Father, help us to earnestly contend for the faith. Give us wisdom to refrain from fighting about things that don't really matter. But give us boldness and courage and perseverance and strength to fight and to keep on fighting for the faith. In Christ's name we pray.